Welcome to Living Simply, a guide to mindful living and mindful parenting with your host, Dr. Gina. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living Simply with Dr. Gina. Dr. Gina, where are you? Oh, there you are. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I'm in Ottawa. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Just a quick heads up for all of our viewers and listeners. Um, Ben could not make it today. uh, So I am here with Dr. Gina myself. And today um, we will be talking about why it's important for uh, families to teach values, morals, and ethics. Uh, Kind of a big topic. Um, I guess maybe start at the beginning. Can you explain to us a little bit about the difference between values, morals, and ethics? Yeah, so let's look at it as a funnel. (laughs) (laughs) So start with the big picture, values. So most people know what values are. So they're very personal. Things like believing in honesty, achievement, hard work, um, exercise, being spiritual. There's a whole bunch of categories of values people can decide on what really matters to them. So values is the foundation of our behavior. So deciding consciously, what do I want my life to be about and what really matters to me? And then from values will um, be born certain beliefs, which are our morals. So there'll be a system of beliefs that later on will guide our actions. So Ethics will stem from morals, which are the actions. So there are morals translated into actions, basically. So that's a simple version of it. Right. (laughs) Uh, Probably about as simple as you could get on such a a deep topic, I would imagine. Um, You know, so maybe to illustrate the point between morals and ethics, because I you know, realizing some of the material you sent over, I probably thought it was the same thing. You know, it's the the age old question, do you steal a loaf of bread to feed your family kind of thing? Um, so the morals and the ethics would guide you about whether or not you could do it and whether it was right. So the morals would be whether you, you would do that and then the ethics is whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, exactly. So you... Maybe let's say your morals are you shouldn't steal because you decided stealing is wrong. Um, But you decide, you know, your family's dying of hunger and you decide your family matters and you're going to steal food to feed your family. So ethically, your actions might go against your your morals and your values, but um, you're if if you're acting basically unethically to support what matters most to you. So that's how we get into moral dilemmas and mm. being torn between one choice or another. And so this is, is a big example, stealing. But sometimes it's the reason I wanted to talk about this is more on the simpler side of daily decisions that we make every day. And um, I I find by working with a lot of families that sometimes parents are at a loss with how their kids are behaving. Mm -hmm. And it's like they've lost their way. And in the end, what we see is 
they're missing the GPS, the direction that guides their their behaviors because it's so abstract for kids. If we tell them, don't do this just because I said so, something doesn't sit right for them. But if, if we raise our kids and we really make it clear what our values are and how it translates into beliefs and actions, then it makes more sense to them. It's more concrete as opposed to abstract. So then it's easier for them to think before they behave and not be so much knee-jerk reactions because when, when it, it's not a one-day conversation. It's, it's a way of life. For example, with my daughter, there's not a day that we don't discuss values, moral, or ethics. It's not done formally, but if I make certain choices, I'll explain to her, you know, mommy made this choice for this reason. And underneath that, it's the guiding principles of our values and our morals that make us decide, you know, technically I'd like to do A, but I won't do it because it's going to hurt someone. Mm-hmm. And so I won't do it even if I feel like doing it. And then it would make more sense to the child than just saying, yeah, you just don't do that. It's bad or right. you do this because it's good. Like if we think like a child, it's too abstract and too simple to just say, yeah, don't do it or do this or or do that. I would even say like the, as we grow older, um, a lot of times our world becomes more black and white. And, you know, if you think back to, at least when I was a kid, um, I know my niece was the same way. It's, well, why? Why do I have to do that? Why? And, and really what you're doing is you're answering that question without being like, no, just, just listen to me and do this. Right. Yeah. And and it's many parents get annoyed with the why, why they feel like it's um, confronting their authority, but kids are wise that way. It's like, well, it makes sense to want to know why, because when we know why, um, we're more likely to do it. So even when I coach clients or therapy clients, um, before I teach them certain strategies, I explain to them how their brain works. So the neuroscience behind why they do what they do. And then they're more likely to follow through with the recommendations I make because then it makes sense. Right. And I always encourage my clients, tell them, listen, I'm, you can confront me on anything I recommend you to do. Ask me why you're doing it. Tell me if it makes no sense. Because if it makes no sense to them, they won't follow through. And kids are the same. So, um, you know, people always say kids... They listen to you, sure, but they're really um, emulating your behavior. And so, I mean, in this case for, you know, building the foundation of values, is that just not enough? Um, well, obviously, you got to walk your talk and kids imitate us. So we, there are things, everything we do, they'll imitate. But I add for certain things that it, it is important to give some explanation. It doesn't have to be a whole two-hour lecture. Um, Just so they're not just imitating because then imitation just becomes unconscious behavior. Mm. And if you want them to develop to become conscious individuals, 
they got to understand why they do what they do versus I just do it because mom or dad does it. So I think it adds a component of awareness when we explain it to them. It adds a component of empathy because when you guide your life by values in the bigger context of things and why you make the choices that you make, then they will do the same. Um, and because a lot of what we do and what we choose as adults, we do think about it if we're individuals that are awake and conscious, but kids can't read our minds. Mm. So it, it, it allows them inside our psyche as to why we do what we do, because just watching our behaviors doesn't necessarily explain why we do what we do. So I do think um, it's an added benefit to explain these things to mm. children. I mean, that makes, that makes complete sense. Um, I think I've been uh, trying to do that with my niece, but maybe not in such awareness, but if there's something I want her to do, or something I want her to stop doing, I explain to her why. I'm like, this is why we don't do that. Or this is why we don't do this. You know, it hurts other people or it hurts our dog or you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, uh, then you open the space for a dialogue, right? Right. If, if you say it hurts the dog and she goes, why does it hurt the dog? Well, then you can explain further. And then you're teaching them how to think and how to do reasoning um, jump to conclusions or not, how to make choices. And all that part is such private behavior, meaning it's in our mind. Kids don't understand how to think if we don't teach them how to think. Right. So the why questions are good questions. Yeah. No. From the part of kids. As, <laughs> as therapists, you don't want to ask your client, why did you do that? Because there's a lot of judgment behind it. And I think mm -hmm. that's why as parents, we might be offended by a why question. But coming from a child, it's, it's not with the goal, uh, said with the goal to offend us, basically. Right. They just want to go a little deeper. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Um. I'm kind of curious. I mean, this is probably an age old example that every parent can relate to, but say your child is lying, yeah. um, you know, and that's a behavior you want to stop. So how would you start that conversation, you know, using values, morals and ethics? So example, if, if you catch your, you obviously caught your child lying to you. Um, usually kids will lie because they're scared of something. So you want to, if, if you want to keep the dialogue open between you and the child, you don't want to confront them in, in a way that they'll close up and they won't open up to you. So you want to approach it with empathy and validation and say, you know, I noticed something, whatever it is that they lied. And, you know, let's, it's fear. You can go, I you know, you're a good kid. I, I assume you're lying because you were scared. Were you scared of what I would do, what I would say? What were you scared of? And if you approach it with compassion, then they'll tell you why they lied. And then, then you can address the value of, you know, in our family, an important value is honesty. And the reason honesty is important is for X, Y, and Z, right? Right. And then you say, okay, now that we know 
honesty is important, um, you can explain, you know, good lies from bad lies. So example, you know, if, if we're going to have a surprise for your birthday, it's going to look like a lie, but it's a surprise. So there are good lies and bad lies. And then when you talk about the bad lies, you go on the ethics, right? It's you're betraying someone's trust. And you can say, you know, you could choose to lie, but the consequence of that is you lose a person's trust. So is trust important for you? So an example I use often with kids and parents is regarding lying is if you lie to me now for little things, how am I to trust you when my, with my car when you're going to be 16? Right. Now is the time you build your trust with me so that when you do have this car and you're behind the wheel, it becomes a weapon. If I can't trust your honest with me, I won't know if I give you the key, are you going to come back when I ask you to come back? Are you not going to let people drink in the car, et cetera, et cetera. So you show that this whole value of honesty, how it trickles down into beliefs, why we lie, why we're honest, and then ethics, how we behave in an honest way. So then you would show example, listen, if you have my car and you drank, I would rather you call me drunk and I'll pick you up than you lie to me and you drive drunk because then you go again with the consequence. You could kill someone. So you show how, why honesty is important and how does it show up in behaviors and beliefs. So then it makes sense to them. And you can use other examples with their little friends. So how do you confront them? Like if you're with your kid a lot, you'll remember a time where a friend lied to them and how they felt. And you connect these things together. How did you feel when your friend did invite you to a party and lied about it? You felt left out and then you stopped trusting that friend. And so if, if you create a weave of different behaviors like that and you connect it to their reality, everything starts to make sense because you connect it to how it feels like to live your values and what it feels like when you go against your values and ethics and how humans are complicated and sometimes we do have ethical dilemmas. Mm. Example, you, you could not believe in abortion, right? And um, be really pro-life and suddenly this girl gets raped and she's pregnant. She, she has quite the ethical dilemma, you know, if she never believed in abortion and suddenly she's pregnant with the child of, of the person who raped her, she's seeing it's not that black or white and might say, consider abortion, even if in a normal circumstance, it would go against her morals. Right. Just like stealing because your family's starving or your child is starving and you steal milk at the corner store. Um, so yeah, we're complicated human beings. We have values and morals, but sometimes they're contradictory in certain circumstances. So context is important. 
to be considered. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's probably, um, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the maybe biggest things I learned like growing up was, you know, the world is not as black and white as people make it out to seem, you know. Yeah. Um, so that can really definite well can't really it definitely challenges you know your values and your morals as you grow older and you just kind of become more wise to the world absolutely yeah even like when you see um i don't know if, if we still use that term but mercy killing there's a better word for that <laughs> i don't remember what it is but let's say someone you really love is suffering like from a debilitating disease and you know how they go to court to end their life early? Right. Euthanasia. We, we say that for animals. Do we say that for humans? I, I don't think so. It's another word, and I can't think of it yeah. either. <laughs> but so I'm sure people understand what we're talking about. <laughs> and, and so you see your loved one, like I think um, Lou Gehrig's disease or even MS, they're suffering, they can't end their own life and wants a doctor to assist them. Um, in some areas, it's illegal to do that. Right. Um, they would never kill anybody, but when they see their loved ones suffering and they just want it to end, it's not killing in, in their minds, right? There's it's it's not killing like murdering someone off the street. It's it's relieving someone from their suffering so um yeah you can we can be really caught up in certain dilemmas and little kids it happens the same you know when they have two best friends and the you're fine with both friends and then the two best friends hate each other mm. and they're caught between the two and and then you have to help guide them how to manage that triangle and and that friendship and if you connect them to values, then it'll help them a little bit to, to decide, you know, like instead of you'll see that with little kids. Uh, if you're my friend, I won't. If you're her friend, if you talk to her, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And how to teach the child to not gossip about the other and go, listen, I love both of you. This is between you two. I'm not going to speak bad about so-and-so and I'm not going to speak bad about the other one that's grounded in values and morals. Right. And then it guides that child's behavior and it takes away the, that pressure of having to choose because then either both will agree or, or the one will eliminate themselves from that friendship. And the onus is off them to, of that child to fix everybody. Right. You you stick to your values, basically your values, morals, and ethics be, become your inner GPS, your inner compass. If you're not on tech, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so it starts at an early age where kids are are caught in moral or ethical dilemmas. But right, the complexity is different, but it's the same. Right. I'm kind of curious. We've talked a lot about like younger children, but how would you approach this conversation with, say, a teenager? Same thing. Just just you can use more elaborate language, more abstract, because developmentally they have abstract reasoning. Um, and I would approach it the same way when, when I work with my adult clients. 
who've kind of lost their ways, they're burned out and stressed is they've lost sight of their values and have their lives have been uh, guided by external metrics, whether it's climbing up the success ladder, but it goes against their values. So there's a disconnect there. They get stressed. So I, I bring them back to their values and we break it down. Okay, we, what are your values? What matters to you? And then what are the beliefs that tie into that? And okay, now how does that look when you put these values into action? And then they live more authentically and it makes sense because they come back to what matters inside instead of looking at outside, you know, what other people think, what society says you should do. Uh, it can get really, really confusing, especially if you're very uh, dependent on what other people think. So you do what they want, but really you're unhappy and miserable. There's quite a disconnect. Yeah. I mean, that that makes sense. I've definitely seen that in like family members and friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of curious to like say um, you've had a large life-changing event, you know, maybe a spouse gets cancer or you get cancer or something and you've realized that you've kind of been living um, by values that maybe aren't in tune with who you want to be now after that event and you've mm-hmm. had those realizations. So what can we do kind of to evaluate and ch- change our own values if that happens? Yeah, well, usually our values evolve with us Mm. and the more you're flexible as you navigate this thing we call life the more likely you are to be happy as opposed to if you're you live a life with highly rigid beliefs so many people when they experience trauma or life-changing events do reevaluate their values because um it's like a rude awakening So um, it's coming back to that. Some people do it with the help of a coach, a psychologist. Some people do it on their own by reading books or podcasts. Um, It's it's really, I think it naturally happens because um, people who you think would show up don't show up. And people you never thought would show up, show up. And so naturally it, it shakes you up and you're like, wow, okay. And when you're on the verge of dying or losing someone that you really care for, suddenly, a bit like now in the pandemic, uh, we realize what really matters. Like right now people are realizing, you know, it doesn't matter if I have a big car, big house, I can't see anybody. So they're seeing that maybe people matter more than things. So sometimes there's the awakening just comes on its own. Mm. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. No, I think, I I think it did. Um, It's not, I think that was kind of a a black and white question and there was a a lot more nuance to it than uh, I had considered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not everyone, um, like I said, if you're rigid, not everyone will have a big diagnosis and and wake up. Some people never wake up and they're miserable too. Like they keep, 
you know how you can meet some people that are always angry, they're always gossiping or always noticing the bad things in the world. Uh, sometimes that's just how they are and they're not ready to evolve. And right. some people are. So we have all kinds of people, right? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, can, <laughs> I can think of a, a variety of people that I have in my life from, you know, those who may never change to those who are in the midst of change. So Yeah. yeah even, even stages of life, right? Makes you reevaluate your values. We often see it at midlife. People call it midlife crisis, but it's, mm. it's not necessarily a crisis. It's a developmental stage. Right. You suddenly realize, okay, half my life has gone by. Um, I'm going to die one day. So you're no longer in denial of your own death. And that puts things in perspective right? as well. People get divorced often at midlife. And midlife varies, you know, it, it doesn't have to be in the 40s. Some people, their midlife starts in their late 30s and some people in their late 50s. It's, it's a developmental phase and everyone's a bit different as well. Right. Well, I think it's kind of interesting, uh, the classic midlife crisis in popular culture, you know, it's getting the car, buying the house, <laughs> but that's not really what happens during your, your midlife crisis. <laughs> well, if, if you're not looking within mm. you, you know, the, the dis ease that you're feeling, you're not comfortable anymore. Right. If you're not used to looking within, you're going to try and make patch it up with things and to make you feel better. So, you know, you get the car, so temporarily you feel better and it looks like, um, okay, that's what it was. Mm. Um, you're patching it with things, but some people also get the, the car at midlife because they make more money. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> they can afford it, get the Porsche uh, that they always wanted to get. Um, yeah. So sometimes you, you think the answer is outside of you, but really it's inside. There's yeah. something that's disconnected and you're trying to connect the dots. And that, that answer is always inside of you. It's, I don't think it's ever outside of you. Right. We're just not taught really to, to look within. That was yeah. something I had to learn on my own. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's how it, I like to start working with values, morals, and ethics in parenting because it forces you to go within and it forces you um, to look why you make the choices that you make. And that answer is inside. And if, if you notice that what you do, what you choose to do is uh, dependent on externals, well, you realize, okay, I'm not looking within. And that could be the reason why it doesn't feel right. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think that's probably probably a good stopping point on this, yeah. you know, within <laughs> and evaluating your morals and ethics. Yeah. Um, you have a class out right now with Glenn Ambrose, uh, Peace in the Pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we created that, I think, in April to help people cope with the pandemic. It's it coping with uncertainty, how to live 
this new normal. There's a component on parenting. There's a component on trust and having faith that things will be okay, how to cope with the stress and the anxiety. And every strategy in there is, like I say, evergreen. So even when you will be through this pandemic, the strategies Glenn and I talk about apply to any situation in our life. It's not unique to a pandemic. So we wanted it to be a, a course that would help people now, but will also help people any other time of their right. life. Because life is uncertainty. I mean, Always. really. <laughs> it's just when everybody's and, doing it, you know. <laughs> we always will, will have challenges and that's just a fact of life. So it's nice to be equipped to cope with life challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then if people want to work with you personally, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me on drmadrigrano.com. Uh, my name is pretty unique. So if you don't remember the website, just type my name and you'll find me. <laughs> you are the first that I have met. So, yes. <laughs> unique. Um, and then if you're, uh, if anyone out there is interested, um, I am helping businesses move online, do social things. Um, you can find me at braveandboldwriter.com. But I think that's... Uh, about it for today. It was so great talking with you. I think this was such a great topic. Um, Same here. We probably could have talked for hours on it. I know. Thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Take All care. Right. Bye, everybody. Bye. For more information or to book an appointment with Dr. Gina, go to drmandragrano.com or click the link in the description of this episode.